that was something. History being made, ladies and gentlemen, at the Supreme Court today. We've got all the best sound, all the clips. We've got it all for you, and you're not going to believe it. I got to tell you, we'll see how this all shakes out. But right now, if I were a betting woman, I'd be betting on Donald Trump being on that ballot, ladies and gentlemen. I think he is, too. We've got his reaction. We're going to talk about that. Plus, Tucker just somehow created a whole international incident. I mean, my gosh, there's talks of sanctions. Uh, There's talk of Turkey saying we won't go through with the sanctions against Tucker Carlson as we get ready to watch all of that interview with Vladimir Putin. We've got the latest on that, including Hillary Clinton's bizarre reaction and and talking about bizarre reactions. Nikki Haley, I mean, she's got some aggressive language coming out of her aggressive language. Can you imagine if Donald Trump said these things? I've got that for you. Welcome to the show, everyone. Live edition of the Trish Regan Show. It is wonderful to have you here. As always, we're brought to you in part by our friends over at LegacyPMInvestments.com, Legacy Precious Metals. If you're worried about inflation, and you should be, I mean, heck, even the, even the Fed is worried about inflation. I'm going to play some sound from an interview with Jay Powell with you coming up. If you're worried about inflation, you might want to look around. Try some diversification strategies. Give these guys a call, 1-866-589-0560. All right, let's get to the news of the day. First of all, Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, weighing in outside his home in Florida, Mar-a-Lago. He had been watching the proceedings, seeing his lawyer up against the Colorado lawyer, and he's feeling pretty good, as he should right now. Take a look. So I just say that uh, in watching the Supreme Court today, I thought it was very... It's a very beautiful process. I hope that democracy in this country will continue. Uh, because right now we have a very, very tough situation with all of the radical left ideas, with the weaponization of uh, politics. They weaponized it like it's never been weaponized before. It's totally illegal, but they do it anyway. And it has to stop. Every one of the court cases that I'm involved, every single one, civil, whether it's the attorney generals or the district attorneys, you look at Fadi in Georgia. They had many meetings with the White House and with the DOJ. They went there, eight-hour meetings. That was all staged. That was a phony hoax. And now you look at it, and it is a phony hoax. And hopefully that case will be dismissed in short order. It's a, it's a disgrace to this country. But they work together with the Justice Department and the White House. And not supposed to do that. Every one of these cases you see comes out of the White House. It comes out of Biden. It's election interference, and it's really very sad. Uh, I thought the presentation today was a very good one. I think it was well-received. I hope it was well-received. You have millions of people that are out there wanting to vote, and they happen to want to vote for me or the Republican Party or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it. But I'm the one running, and we are leading in every poll. We're leading in the uh, local polls, in the state polls, and we're leading in the swing state polls, and we're leading very big in the national polls. So, Wow. So he is alleging here election interference. Listen, a- after a while, you start to say, come on, guys, come on, enough already, right? I, I can't believe what I heard today. I just can't believe it. Because I'm not, I'm no legal scholar, okay? I, I got the business side covered, but I know enough about what I know en- enough about. I got, I got this little handy constitution book right, right by my side. Literally, I, I keep it on my bedside table. 
<laughs> that's some interesting insight for you, right? But anyway, I'm looking at this going, how, how, how are they going to possibly go for Colorado keeping him off the ballot? I mean, it's bonkers. But don't take my word for it. Listen to the Supreme Court justices here. I mean, I have a feeling this may come down unanimously in Donald Trump's favor. I think he's he's feeling some relief right now. But let's listen. Um, let's listen. Can we, can we hear first from Elena Kagan? Elena Kagan, who's talking to the Colorado attorney. Drew, let's cue that one up. I know we're going to listen to Kentucky Brown Jackson as well because she's she's like on the wrong case. You know, I think it feels a little helpless there, but we'll get to that. But Elena Kagan first. Now, there has to be some process for determining those questions. And then the question becomes, does anything in the 14th Amendment say that only Congress can create that process? And, and Section 5 very clearly is not an exclusive provision. It says Congress shall have power. But maybe and put m- most boldly, I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. In other words, you know, this question of whether a former president is disqualified for insurrection uh, to be president. Wow. Okay, so that's not exactly from uh, somebody who's considered a conservative, right? That's Elena Kagan, you guys. And she's like, you guys can't have a problem here because Colorado is going to decide everything for the rest of the country. That's not going to fly. I mean, then you got, well, there's, there's so much here. I mean, I, I want to go to Gorsuch, who just totally, utterly destroys this Colorado attorney. He went to Harvard, I think. Uh, you know, we've seen before that that Harvard degree doesn't necessarily mean anything. It may not be worth the paper it's printed on when you hear this guy talk. Anyway, let's listen to Justice Gorsuch destroying the Colorado attorney here. That this court has held. You're not contesting this or asking us to revisit that decision in Thornton or term limits or whatever you want to call it, that it has to come from some federal constitutional authority. No, we are not, Your Honor. Okay. And, and, and here we're not talking about the qualifications clause, right? Um, nobody's talking about whether he's 35 years old or natural born, whatever, right? The, not, not an issue, okay? We're talking about something under uh, the 14th Amendment and Section 3. So that's where you have to find your authority, right? We find our authority in Article 2, in states' plenary power to run their election. Federal election. But this is for a federal office. It has to come from the Constitution, and you're seeking to enforce Section 3. We're suggesting that in their broad power to determine them, to select presidential electors in any manner they see fit, they can take account of Section 3 and apply Section 3. Could they do it without Section 3? Could they disqualify somebody for, uh, a, you know, on whatever basis they wanted outside of the qualifications clause? That would run into term limits, I yeah, think. Yeah, I would think it. so, right? So it has to come back to Section 3. And if that's true, how does that work, given that Section 3 speaks about holding office, not who may run for office. It was a point Mr. Mitchell was making earlier, and I just wanted to give you a chance to respond to it, because it seems to me that, that you know, that, that you're asking to enforce in an election some uh, context a, a provision of the Constitution that speaks to holding office. So it's different than the Qualifications Clause, which is all about who can run and then serve, yeah. I don't know that it is different. Okay. Other qualifications for office similarly talk about eligibility for the office. There's nothing unconstitutional about a 30-year-old 
trying to get on the ballot. Except for this disability can be removed, right, under Section 3. That's what's different about it. So... Great. Which is just great. So... For those of you that don't know what Section 3 is in the 14th Amendment, again, like I said, I got my trusty little book here. Here's my Constitution, and I'm I'm underlining, I'm making notes, I'm looking at Section 2 versus Section 3. So Section 2 is all about sort of, you know, the the, the age, et cetera, right? Like that's sort of like how, whether or not you're qualified if you're going to reach a certain age. But you go to Section 3, and this is what Gorsuch was just referencing. In other words, he's saying that you need to look at Section 3 because this is a federal issue and the states are deriving their power from the federal government. And specifically, when it comes to the President of the United States, you've got to look at Section 3. And what's fascinating about this, ladies and gentlemen, is that there is the mention of insurrection in here. But but let's go through it. I'm going to actually read it directly from the Constitution itself. This is the 14th Amendment, ratified July 9th, 1868, 14th Amendment, Section 3, no person shall be a senator or representative of Congress or elector or president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. All right, so it's saying you can't have done that. But, it goes on to say, Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. So Gorsuch is making the argument that, by the way, this is sort of in the past. He's not currently holding any office, right? So it doesn't specify. You can't actually say, okay, you're not allowed to run now for something that's in the past. And if you do, well, or you don't, like Congress has that authority. It would actually take two-thirds of the House to override any of this. So this is the point that all of the justices keep on making over and over and over again. And when you look at this particular line there, but Congress maybe, forgive me, go to the line right here. If they've rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to enemies thereof. Think about that. So if the president of the United States gives aid or comfort to an enemy by way of funding, as in, oh, I don't know, what do we, what do we give to Iran? Some $6 billion in that hostage exchange? Mm, $6 billion that the Biden administration okayed, gave to Iran along with the hostages. They're trying to say, oh, well, it was their money anyway, whatever. I, I don't think so. I mean, we, we can, we can, we can debate those technicalities after the fact. The point is they got $6 billion that they didn't otherwise have, courtesy of the Biden administration. So that's kind of like aid to an enemy. And then the enemy turns around and does what it did. You might actually look at that particular interpretation in a whole new way, maybe against Joe Biden. This is something that Justice Alito points out aggressively to this Colorado attorney. I want to hear this part. Aid and comfort to the enemy. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Uh, Justice Thomas? Justice Alito? Uh, Suppose there's a country that proclaims again and again and again that the United States is its biggest enemy. And suppose that the president of the United States for diplomatic reasons think that it's in the best interests of the United States to 
provide funds or release funds that, so that they can be used by that, by that country? Could a state determine that that person has given aid and comfort to the enemy and therefore keep that person off the ballot? No, Your Honor. This Court has never interpreted the aid and comfort language, which also is present in the... Okay. But, I mean, listen, buddy. Jason, Jason Murray from Harvard, Colorado guy. <laughs> you start going there, and you're going to unravel a whole bunch of stuff, which Alito is properly pointing out. He wants to have his cake and eat it too, Mr. Murray does. In other words, he wants one thing. He wants to go after Trump but he doesn't want anything to apply to Biden. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way, and I didn't go to law school, okay? By the way, speaking of people that did or did not go to law school, Katanji Brown-Jackson, I'll tell you, she's trying the wrong case here. Listen to this one. This is unbelievable. She's pushing Jonathan Mitchum, who is Donald Trump's lawyer, and she's trying to push him on this insurrection thing. She's like, well, did he, did he not commit an insurrection? And part of Mitchum's point, Mitchell's point, forgive me, is that even if he did, it doesn't really matter because you got to get back to Section 3 in which the, the you know, Congress would have the ability to, to weigh in on this. Nonetheless, she wants to decide that. And it's like, lady, I'm sorry, but that's a different, that's another case. Aren't we just deciding Colorado here? Let's watch here or listen to Katanji, Katanji Brown-Jackson questioning Trump's lawyer. Compromise provision that was enacted in Section 3. All right, let me ask you another mm -hmm. question about um, the states, because you have forcefully made an argument about the states not being uh, able to enforce Section 3. Mm -hmm. So if we agree with you on that, mm -hmm. um, what happens next? I mean, I thought you also wanted us to end the litigation. Um, so is there a possibility that this case continues in federal court if that's our conclusion? I don't see how it could unless Congress were to enact a statute in response to this court's decision. So your point so, is that it would, we would have to say congressional enacting legislation um, is necessary for either state or federal enforcement? That's correct. All right. Final question. Um, the Colorado Supreme Court concluded that the violent attempts of the petitioner supporters uh, in this case to halt the count uh, on January 6th qualified as an insurrection uh, as defined by Section 3. And I read your opening brief to accept uh, that those events counted as an insurrection. Um, but then your reply seemed to suggest that they were not. So wh what is your position oh, as to that? We, we never accepted or conceded in our opening brief that this was an insurrection. What we said in our opening brief was President Trump did not engage in any act that can plausibly be characterized as insurrection. All right, so because why would this not, not be an insurrection? What is your argument that it's not? Your reply brief says that it wasn't because I think you say um, it did not involve an organized attempt to overthrow right. the government. So That's one of many reasons. But for an insurrection, there needs to be an organized, concerted effort to overthrow the government of the United States through violence. And this and so the point is that a chaotic effort to overthrow the government is not an insurrection? No, we didn't concede that it's an effort to overthrow the government either, Justice Jackson. Right? None of these criteria were met. This was a riot. It was not an insurrection. The events were shameful, criminal, violent, all of those things. But it did not qualify as insurrection, as that term is used. Not to mention that that's not actually what they're even supposed to be talking about. Right, she's still stuck on that. I guess she's got her own political bias weighing in. So maybe it's not going to be unanimous. Maybe, maybe uh, Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson is the holdout there because she's, she's got it in her head, something. 
but it, it's not applicable, right? It, it just doesn't. And by the way, like if you're gonna if you're gonna say that that was an insurrection, that don't you don't you run the risk of a whole lot of bias going into anything? Like you could just say anybody, you know, they they had a protest outside. That that's an insurrection. This is an insurrection. I mean, it, there's a certain bias that then creeps in, which is what Alito was pointing out when he said, "Think about the bias of this particular clause. If you've given aid or comfort to the enemies, I mean, have has the Biden administration not given aid or comfort to the enemies of the United States of America by turning over that six billion dollars to Iran? Come on." Like, this is so highly politicized. It's so charged. It's so crazy. It's crazy that we are here in this moment in time dealing with a state like Colorado that's so desperate to take him down that they're now elevating this to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. I go back to everything we've been talking about here on the show, regardless of what you think of the whole ordeal, right? There was a lot of staging going on. In terms of that aftermath, a whole lot of staging. The fact that somehow, some way, the only video that we got to see of the event came from none other than Nancy Pelosi's daughter. Come on, Alexandra Pelosi, the documentary filmmaker, she couldn't call any of her friends at CNN. No, instead, her daughter gave it to CNN or sold it, even worse, to CNN, a big family business, I don't know. And suddenly CNN is running clips all over the airways with a big exclusive bug saying CNN exclusive. So duping the American public effectively into thinking that this is somehow journalism, if you can consider CNN independent in any way, shape or form, I realize that's highly disputable, but you understand where I'm going. So a very packaged narrative sold to the American people. And somehow Donald Trump is now responsible for all of it. And that's going to keep him off the ballot in the state of Colorado. And now it has to waste the time, resources and effort of our Supreme Court of the United States of America. I'm sorry, it is wild. But I will say this. It's fascinating. I mean, utterly, utterly, utterly fascinating and disturbing that they will go to such lengths to try and keep one person down. I mean, wow, if he's still kicking after this thing, my gosh almighty. Ladies and gentlemen, we have ourselves a winner, right? I do think he's actually going to prevail here. I think he's going to come out on top. I think there's no way that the justices decide with Colorado in this one. He does get on the ballot, but they're trying to do a lot of damage and a lot of harm in the process, as we all well know. And consequently, it causes everyday Americans like you, like me, to say, hey, what's really up? What's going on, guys? What have you been doing this whole time? I mean, you tell us one thing and it turns out to be something else entirely, right? And, 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 and we've had multiple instances of this, whether it be the Hunter Biden laptop, whether it be, oh, I don't know where that virus originated from. Every three-letter agency, except for, except for the CIA, which is still divided on this, they're all saying, hey, it, it came from Wuhan, China. Fauci's out with a new book. Uh, he just announced he's got his, his memoirs coming out. How many, how many memoirs has he written, by the way? I feel, like, I feel like I've seen this movie before. Anyway, he's got a book that's going to be coming out. And, and it, whether it be the, the Hunter laptop, whether it be coronavirus and its origination, you can't talk about these things. And then the stuff that you're supposed to talk about, right? The sanctioned stuff. You're supposed to say that, oh, Donald Trump was not a legitimate president because he was put there by the Russians. That's the Hillary Clinton narrative. turns out that narrative 
was all bought and paid for by the Hillary Clinton opposition research team. I mean, wow. So we're now in a situation where nobody really trusts them, let's be honest, and it's, uh, it's with good reason. It's with good reason. You know, you should not squander that trust. You absolutely should not squander it. Tucker Carlson has a big interview, and I just got to say, you know what? Good for him. Good for Tucker. I didn't always see and don't always see eye to eye with Tucker Carlson on all issues. Uh, sometimes we agree, sometimes we don't. But I will tell you this, fundamentally, as a journalist, what he is doing is absolutely positively right. And as a journalist, I respect it. And we need to hear from all sides. And the idea that somehow those in the mainstream media want to shut it down because it's Tucker Carlson, wow. I mean, it actually elevates this interview. You understand? I mean, he went over there. We saw him, right, in Moscow. It's got a little clip that he put out online saying, hey, it's Tucker, I'm here. I'm in Moscow for a big interview. We're in Moscow tonight. We're here to interview the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. We'll be doing that soon. There are risks to conducting an interview like this, obviously. So we thought about it carefully over many months. Here's why we're doing it. First, because it's our job. We're in journalism. Our duty is to inform people. Two years into a war that's reshaping the entire world, most Americans are not informed. They have no real idea what's happening in this region, here in Russia or 600 miles away in Ukraine. But they should know. They're paying for much of it in ways they might not fully yet perceive. The war in Ukraine is a human disaster. It's left hundreds of thousands of people dead, an entire generation of young Ukrainians, and has depopulated the largest country in Europe. But the long-term effects are even more profound. This war has utterly reshaped the global military and trade alliances, and the sanctions that followed have as well. And in total, they have upended the world economy. The post-World War II economic order, the system that guaranteed prosperity in the West for more than 80 years, is coming apart very fast, and along with it, the dominance of the U.S. dollar. So CNN is really upset that he's over there. I played you those clips. CNN's going wild. Oh, my gosh. You know, Tucker's over there, and they're fawning over him in the Russian news media, etc., and then you had oh, Christian Amanpour. She must be just a little bit jealous, tweeting out, hey, Tucker, do you not think that we all wanted this interview somehow? Oh, he got it. He got it. And, 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 and everybody's mad about that, including none other than Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, who goes on effectively what is state media here, MSNBC, to, to sing her song and, and says... A whole slew of, of, of I, I can't do it justice. We got, we got to watch this one. I, I know it's Hillary, guys, but watch this because she is really out there and giving this interview, frankly, a ton of value because, heck, now we all want to see it. I mean, he's like a puppy dog. You know, he somehow has, after having been fired from so many outlets in the United States, he, uh, I would not be surprised uh, if he emerges with a contract with a Russian outlet because he is a useful idiot. He says things that are not true. He parrots Vladimir Putin's uh, pack of lies about Ukraine. Uh, so I don't see why Putin wouldn't give him an interview because through him, 
he can, you know, continue to lie about what his, you know, objectives are in Ukraine and, and uh, you know, what he expects to see happen. It's really quite sad that not just somebody like Tucker Carlson, who has, as I said, been fired so many times because he seems unable to, you know, correlate his uh, reporting with the truth, um, but also because he, it's a sign that there are people in this country right now who are like a fifth column for Vladimir Putin. And why? I don't know. I mean, why are certain Republicans throwing their lot in? Why are, you know, other Americans basically believing? Um... Might it have anything to do with the United States having been wrong before? I, I can think about the Iraq war, for example where we were really, really wrong. It might not have helped to have explored more sides. You know, I'm just saying. Because as a journalist, I want to hear from everyone with their biases intact. Like, it's okay, right? You understand one person's coming from this point of view. One person's coming from this point of view. And then you go out and you interview more and more people. And hopefully at some point you start to get to what is actually the truth. But how can you find the truth, for goodness sakes, if you don't even start by listening to all sides? And like, you're kidding yourself if you think that the U.S. doesn't spin things. You're kidding yourself if you don't think Russia spin things, spins things or, or France spins things or India or China or anywhere else in the world. Everybody is spinning, ladies and gentlemen. The job of a journalist is to cut through that spin to understand what really is going on because everybody's got their narrative. And she wants to deprive people of that. See, the great thing about where we are nowadays is she can't. That's the cool thing. Because you're here watching me. I'm talking to you. you you'll, you'll see the Tucker thing. We'll, we'll, by the way, we'll have clips of that later tonight. We, will be do, we do that, right? Because we want to be able to understand all sides so that we can make educated decisions. They don't want you to have all the information. They don't want you to make your own decision. And therein lies the problem. And this is why, by going on and insulting him, insulting, you know, say, oh, he's gotten fired from every network. Maybe that's because maybe that's he wasn't actually willing to go with the status quo, right? I mean, when you actually fight back against the narrative that's being spoon-fed to you, and you have a mind of your own, and you start to question things, that kind of rattles a lot of people. Can fact check them, fact check. It rattles them badly. And so consequently, you know what? You gotta, you gotta be able to take the heat. And he is willing to take the heat. I mean, this is great. He said that he actually thinks that he's being spied upon, that he was being spied upon back when he wanted to do a Putin interview when he was at Fox, and that some people found out, and the, the network, as well as some people, shut it down. That very well may be the case. And, you know, because of the way the law is written, if you have contact with an overseas source that's considered perhaps an enemy of the United States, and I'm sure his Gmail, if he's a good reporter, is filled with people on the other side overseas, well, then, yeah, the government would have the reason to go and look. I, I keep joking about my own email. I mean, it's not that exciting. I mean, other than what are we, what are we having for dinner tonight? Um, but in other words, they can go in there and do that. And so his privacy, he's saying this has been violated. And I think they might actually 
strangely be able to do that. But I want to go back to this idea that somehow they're elevating him. Clinton's out there bashing him over and over again. John Kirby is trying to say, no, no, this interview is going to have no effect on what's going on with the American people and what they think about all the money that we want to give to Ukraine. It's going to have no effect on what leaders and lawmakers think about Ukraine. Really? Maybe. I mean, but the fact that you even have to say this, buddy, the fact that you're all out there spouting this and you're so freaked out, the fact that you're so freaked out, you're playing directly into Tucker's hands. I mean, he could have gone over there, done his little thing. It could have made a big splash in Russia. But did we think it would make such a big splash here? Did we think it would cause an international incident? This is an international incident. It has been raised to that kind of level. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second. But first, hear the White House talking about the Tucker interview just moments ago. Uh, do you have any concern that Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin could further erode support for Ukraine aid in the United States? Um, <laughs> I, I, we're convinced that there is strong bipartisan support on Capitol Hill for supporting Ukraine. Um, and we know there's efforts now to bring something up onto the Senate floor for a vote that would have Ukraine, Israel, Indo-Pacific, and humanitarian assistance, so supplemental funding in it and without the, the border. We'll let, the fo- we'll let senators work that out. The president believes that support for Ukraine is critical, particularly right now. Uh, as Russia continues to try to uh, hit their defense industrial base, continue to hit their units on that battlefront from from east to south. It's vital. Uh, And he's confident that uh, and he and based on the meetings he's had with with leaders on Capitol Hill and the discussions he's had, certainly uh, uh, over recent weeks, uh, that, again, the leadership, even on the House side, the leadership is solidly in support of supporting Ukraine. Now, whether they're going to how they're going to be affected or impacted by a television interview, I couldn't begin to, to, to guess. I guess I'm asking beyond just Congress, among the American people, many of whom you know, watch Tucker Carlson's show and are inclined already to be skeptical of American support for Ukraine, would hearing directly from Putin potentially erode that further, not just in the halls of Congress, but among the people? The American people know well who's at fault here. And I think they know that there was no ground whatsoever for the invasion on February 22nd, two years ago. So Kirby's saying, listen, it's not going to matter at all. The American people know what they know because we've been telling them this over and over and over and over again. And so they can't hear another side and suddenly be swayed differently. I don't know what the American people are going to think. And frankly, I I just get back to this one important issue that the American people ought to be able to hear all sides. And if you listen to all sides, maybe you can understand this story at a greater level of depth than what they want to spoon feed you. I I, I think it's important, especially when you look at some of the fraud that's been happening. I mean, we were just supposed to be okay with that when the the deputy defense minister in Ukraine has to be fired by us because he's allegedly stealing along with his deputy that was allegedly stealing. I mean, like how many times can that go down before Americans start to say, you know, I'm not so psyched about turning over my tax dollars here. I, I mean, again, Let's let this shake out wherever it's going to shake out, but let's make sure that we got all the facts and all the information and let's hear from everyone. They have, through their sort of distaste for Tucker Carlson and their fury that he would dare to do this. You know, here's the thing. If you were at Fox News, if I was at Fox News 
you, they wouldn't be allowed to, right? Because it would be so tightly controlled. There'd be somebody in government saying, no, 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 we need this interview to happen with such and such or so-and-so. And so he might not have gotten it or he might've gotten it and then just not been allowed to do it. In this case, he's allowed to do it because he doesn't have any bosses saying, mm, 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 mm. But the other bosses, I guess, are just these big governments, whether it be John Kirby or Hillary Clinton or just other anchors at CNN that are all jealous and mad because they didn't get the interview, or whether it be the European Union. This one blew me away. Again, you want to elevate this and make sure everybody tunes in? You guys have actually done Tucker Carlson and his new company a massive service, huge service, because now the EU is talking about sanctioning Tucker Carlson. Somebody over in the EU is like, well, why don't we just sanction him? Oh, yeah, that's a, wow. I mean, it, you want to talk crazy talk. That's, that's exactly what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and when I talk about it being elevated, this interview to an international incident, I'm not kidding, because now you get Turkey's Orban weighing in on Twitter on this whole thing. Take a look at this tweet after the news broke that somehow the EU wants to sanction Tucker Carlson over his Vladimir Putin interview. Oh my goodness. And he said, don't bother trying. This is the president of Turkey. We won't let it happen. <laughs> Strength, Tucker Carlson. Look, I mean, the fact that this is actually going down, I'm like, this is like some kind of surreal moment. Tucker's team had to have been like, yes, right? Because now, again, everybody's going to be watching. I mean, when they threatened to sanction you over doing an interview as a journalist, you've hit a nerve, buddy. Like, you hit a nerve. And that's a good thing. Because if they're this worried, you have to say, why? What are they worried about? Really, what is it that has them so concerned they're willing to sanction him? What is so concerning that you get these these sort of, uh, how shall we characterize them? Uh, journalists, you know, the guy from Weekly Standard who used to be the chief of staff to Dick Cheney, <clears throat> he came out and tweeted that they should detain Tucker Carlson on his way back into the country. They want to detain the American citizen on his way back into the country. Think about that. I mean, again, wow, wow. Of course, someone had a great meme and they showed Tucker at the border and they were saying, oh, well, there's still another way in. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> and then you had Adam Kinsinger, the representative, in Congress saying that Tucker was a traitor. I mean, all of this now has created an environment in which everybody wants to see this interview. It's actually helping Putin inadvertently. There's, there's the meme. Check it out, you guys. Tucker Carlson, after he spoke with Putin and the U.S. government decided to want to deny him entry into the USA. That hasn't actually really happened. But if it did, he could say, oh, no, no worry. Hola, amigo. <laughs> At the border. Really unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. So we're going to be watching that and we're going to be bringing you excerpts from that big interview. But keep in mind, Hillary Clinton, who's out there criticizing, criticizing aggressively Tucker Carlson for daring to do this interview. You know, she dared to try and have a relationship, if you would, back when she was Secretary of State with Russia do you remember this little moment, which actually was really embarrassing for her, and I would just say humiliating for our State Department because apparently we don't have any decent Russian speakers? That was my takeaway. Watch. Today, uh, in anticipation of uh, this important meeting and our, our time here together, 
I wanted to uh, present you with uh, a little gift, which represents what President Obama and Vice President Biden and I have been saying, and that is, we want to reset our relationship. And let's do it. Let's do it together. So we will do it together. Okay. up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. You are Thank very you. welcome. We worked hard to get the right Russian word. Do you think you, we got it? You get it wrong. I got it wrong. <laughs> it should be перезагрузка. Ah. And this says перегрузка, uh, which means overcharged. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't let you do that you to see us. That? So she wanted reset. But she actually, she and her State Department put overcharge on that button. I mean... Wow. I mean, you really can't make this stuff up, you guys. You just can't make it up. It, it's, it's alarming because you realize how ill-equipped we are when we don't even have people that understand the right translation. Right? Like she, was, she was mocked pretty aggressively for that one moment. It was with uh, Lavrov, who was the ambassador from Russia to the U.S. at the time. So, again, we'll, we'll see what happens in this interview, but be assured People are worried, really, really worried about what might come out. You know, who should not be worried about what's going on with him? I mean, he should be worried from a political standpoint and the fact that he's probably going to lose the election if you judge by the polls that we're getting out, including the Emerson poll that just came today, which still shows Joe Biden underwater. But Joe Biden is getting off. Joe Biden is getting off on those documents charges. And you're never going to guess why. I mean, it's actually really embarrassing for him when you find out why they're willing to let him off. Just breaking moments ago, U.S. President Biden mishandled classified documents but will not face criminal charges, according to U.S. special counsel. I mean, unlike, you know, what, what Donald Trump has had to go through, where it's just been a nightmare, Biden gets off easy. He gets off easy, you know, because, hey, the documents, they were just in the garage, right? Right next to my Corvette. That's all, people. Remember? Classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, we're going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So but anyway, in yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. Yeah, because, you know, you lock them up next to the Corvette. I mean, how is that relevant? You know, I'd love to see him in a courtroom. Good thing he never really practiced law because he would have been really bad. He would have been worse than the Supreme Court justice we heard that was somehow trying to prove a totally different case today. She was really stuck on insurrection when they were all just trying to debate the Colorado state ballot. But this is unbelievable. So U.S. Uh, President Joe Biden, he has been basically uh, you know, convicted of mishandling classified documents but will not face any criminal charges. So they decided, yep, he did the wrong thing. But it turns out he did the wrong thing, and the reason they're not moving forward with any charges is because it would look really bad. I mean, he's just so old. This is why it's so embarrassing, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, when this is the reason you get off, they, they didn't let Trump off for this reason. 
Here, let me quote from a story on NBC right now. This is a quote actually from the investigators themselves. So by declining to prosecute, they said they, they had to have a reason. What, and what was the reason? It was Biden's limited memory. That's why. Again, how utterly humiliating. Both during the 2017 recorded conversations with the ghostwriter that he was doing a, an interview with, as well as investigators last year. I'm going to quote, Given Mr. Biden's limited precision and recall during his interviews with his ghostwriter and with our office, jurors may hesitate to place too much evidentiary weight on a single eight-word utterance to his ghostwriter about fine and classified documents in Virginia in the absence of other more direct evidence. It goes on, quote, We have also considered that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory, investigators are, oh my goodness. So an elderly man with a poor memory, that's who our president of the United States of America is. And this is why he's allowed to take classified documents and we're not going to, we're not going to penalize him for it. We're not going to follow up on it because he's just a poor old man. He's a poor old man. And you wonder why he's fallen in the polls so badly. I mean, this is pathetic. I'm telling you, it's utterly pathetic. He should be ashamed. He should be embarrassed. The Democrat Party should be embarrassed. I don't know how they're going to run. I really don't. I, I think Michelle is sitting there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Now is my time. And she'd be right to think that because you can't even go after him because he's just a poor old man. And that's how he's going to present himself to the jury as he presented himself to the investigators. We got ourselves a grand old mess, do we not, ladies and gentlemen? One big old grand mess. Nikki Haley is back in the news. I'm stunned by Nikki Haley. I got to tell you, like, how does this woman get away with using rhetoric like this? The things that she said, I'm telling you, if Donald Trump said this, in two seconds, they would eat him up and spit him out. It would be all over the cable news, airwaves. Oh my gosh, can you, say, can you believe he used that kind of language? You don't use that kind of language when you're referring to elections. Oh my, but apparently you can if you're Nikki Haley. You know, if you're the darling of the media, if you're Hillary Clinton, you get to go on and say, oh, well, you know, he's not a legitimate president. If you're Jimmy Carter, you can say he's not a legitimate president, former president of the United States talking about Donald Trump. And if you're Nikki Haley... You get to go on and say stuff like this. Listen to the vocabulary choices as she's describing the Nevada election where she performed so badly, she actually lost to none of the above, okay? These are the election results. Take a look at this. None of these candidates, 61.2%. Nikki Haley, 32.4%. None of these candidates. That's who Nikki Haley lost to in the state of Nevada. Donald Trump wasn't even on the ballot. Like, this is the first time in history this has ever happened. You get Donald Trump running. He's not even on the ballot. Nikki Haley can't even beat none of these candidates. It's really remarkable. So here's her explanation for it all. And again, listen to the vocabulary choices. Does that situation in Nevada hurt a little bit? No. I mean, Nevada, it's such a scam. They were supposed to have a primary. Trump rigged it so that the GOP chairman, who's been indicted, 
would go and create a caucus. We knew months ago that we weren't going to spend a day or a dollar in Nevada because it wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't even count Nevada. That wasn't anything we were looking at. We knew that was rigged from the start. Sure. Our focus is on South Carolina, Michigan, Super Tuesday. So if you look what we did in Iowa and you look what we did in New Hampshire, we're continuing to grow. That's what matters, I think, more than anything else. But look at what happened. Did you hear that? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I fell off my chair when I saw this. What kind of language is that lady? Really? I mean, this is the kind of language that got Donald Trump in a whole lot of trouble. Are you somehow undermining our system? I mean, when you say words like that, they're pretty darn loaded, are they not? Super loaded. But she's okay to say that? Listen, those were talking points. She had a script. And she deliberately chose those words. And everybody was fine with it. Think about that. And then think about the other thing that was going on. She said, well, we didn't even bother with Nevada. We didn't care. We didn't even bother because we thought it was this, that, and the other. She didn't bother with it, which tells us she doesn't care about the voters of Nevada. She just doesn't care. What happened to the woman who's like, I'm in it for everyone. I'm in it for everyone. I care about everybody in this country. I want to make sure you have a voice. Well, not if you live in Nevada. I think that Nikki Haley has some problems, and I think the GOP has Nikki Haley problem. You saw the other day, Ronna McDonald's out. She's going to be uh, McDonald's. See, I did again. I keep wanting to say Ronald McDonald. We've been laughing about that. <laughs> this is some kind of Freudian slip, I guess. Anyway, so Ronna McDaniel, she's the niece, right, of, uh, the, the, of Mitt Romney. She is out at the GOP. She's held that position since, I think, 2017. All kinds of concerns about the spending patterns, the lack of cash, the lack of resources there at the Republican Party. You compare and contrast the GOP and the RNC with, say, the Democrat Party. And you know what? The, the, the RNC is total underdog there, total underdog, but maybe they did it to themselves. There was one article in Red State that alleged $70,000 being spent on flowers in a given period of time compared with, they said, the DNC, which was spending something like $795. So yeah, I mean, if you, you've got like spending that's out of control and you're going to Broadway plays, as it's also been alleged, and you know, you're paying for hair and makeup and this, that, and the other, maybe you start to run out of cash rather quickly. And so there's been a lot of concern within GOP circles that it, the money is not going to the right places and the right things. And this is, let me tell you, a really, really big election. It's a really big one. And so you don't have money to waste. You don't have dimes to waste. You don't have time to waste. And so as a result of all of these concerns and the fact that what, she really isn't winning any races unless Trump's on the ballot, I guess. But then, hey, you know, they didn't win 2020 either. So you got all kinds of problems confronting Ronna. She's going to be out at the end of the month. People are talking about who's going to take over. There's some rumor about a guy from North Carolina. Other talk as well about McCarthy, uh, Matt Gates coming out in support of McCarthy. I'll tell you, politics makes for strange bedfellows, does it not? I would only say this. You need somebody who knows what the heck they're doing, really knows what they're doing, because Nikki Haley should not be in this race right now. You should be coalescing around the candidate that Americans are set to pick. There is too much at stake. You got policy that really, really, really matters right now. And yet you've got this woman out there continuing to spout a narrative that frankly, if she were Donald Trump, would get her cut off from various platforms. I mean, we've seen it before, right? You can't use language like that nowadays. And yet 
Apparently she can. I wonder if this gives us any kind of precursor or understanding of what is to come. What's happening next? What is Biden going to do if he doesn't win? Is he going to turn into Nikki Haley? It's a good question. It is a very good question. We got problems, though. We got problems right here in, uh, what was that music man I'm quoting? Something City. (laughs) You know, great musical. Great, great musical. Anyway, we do have problems. Some of those problems include all our, our spending. We're not just talking about the RNC. But I'll tell you. When you have the Federal Reserve out there warning, ladies and gentlemen, about our $34 trillion in debt and still counting, you got problems. Let's take a look at this. Oh, my goodness. Short little clip here from none other than Jay Powell, finally speaking some truth. Finally. I mean, can you believe this guy? Can you believe he sounds a little bit like a hawk? Let's play it. Long run. The U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. The U.S. federal government's on an unsustainable fiscal path. Head of the Federal Reserve admitting what we all know, $34 trillion and counting. In other words, we're effed, ladies and gentlemen. We are totally effed because you can't print this much money and not have any consequences to it. We saw the consequences of them printing, 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 printing throughout March 2020, all the way up until quite recently. We saw the consequences of both the Federal Reserve and the federal government involved in the printing presses. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. I mean, income adjusted for inflation under this administration, it's lousy. That's that chart I keep talking about because it's really, really lousy. That's why people feel so bad about the economy. But I want to play some more. This is the head of the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell, who Donald Trump actually put in and wasn't so happy with. Believe me, not happy with at all. Let's listen to him spouting off about his concerns, actually, about the long-term fiscal health of the United States of America. I'm glad somebody's talking about it. Do we have it? We may not. Oh, we may not. All right, we'll look for that, and we'll play it for you again, because we got the whole soundbite here. It's about 30 seconds, and I want you to hear this, because, listen, we can't do this. I can sit here and tell you all day we can't do this. I think it's helpful when you have somebody like Jay Powell coming forward and saying it. Listen, Jay Powell, uh, I've been, frankly, rather disgusted with the Federal Reserve and their unwillingness and inability to do what is actually needed for our economy, which is to actually rein things in. People actually thought that they were going to get another rate, a rate uh, cut going, going like it was supposed to happen this past month. They still like they're holding out hope for another rate cut. And I'm like, no, you're not going to get a rate cut because we still have inflation. Like we're not out of the woods in any way, shape or form on inflation. So listen, Jay Powell is absolutely right. He sat down with 60 minutes the other day and he said, listen, the long-term health of our country is really, really in jeopardy. Darn it, we don't have it. Okay, well, we will move on. Uh, I will play that. You know what? We're coming back to the story tomorrow. We're coming back to the story because this is important stuff, and we need to actually show you the entire clip. We showed you a short bit, but I want you to hear the whole darn thing. Speaking of which, as we think about how much inflation we have in the economy, a quick reminder, we are brought to you in part by our friends over at LegacyPMInvestments.com, 1-866-589-0560, 1-866-589-0560. Listen, if you're worried about inflation, I'm certainly worried about inflation. I've been right on inflation. You know what? I've been completely 
You know, I, I don't steer you wrong too often. I have been right on inflation. I was worried about it in July and August of 2020, even before Trump came forward with the second stimulus check. And I had every right to be worried. And it turns out it was absolutely the right thing to be. So give them a ring, one 589 If you're interested in investing in gold or silver and diversifying your portfolio, welcome, of course, to use my name as always. Absolutely. Let's turn to another big story, a business story right now. Disney came out with its earnings, and let's see if we can put that up on the screen for you. Oh, what do you know? Look, you know, Drew's like, he's rallying for us today. Ladies and gentlemen, we do have this clip. We do have this clip from Jay Powell coming through for me in the control room. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, we're going we're gonna to go to that, I think. Um, do we have it? Yes? No? Maybe? It's live TV, we mostly baby. try very hard not to comment we on most- fiscal policy and, and uh, you know, instruct Congress on how to do their job when actually they have oversight over us. But is the national debt a danger to the economy, in your view? In the long run, the U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. The U.S. federal government is on an unsustainable fiscal path. And that just means that the debt is growing faster than the economy. I have the sense this worries you very much. Over the long run, of course it does. You know, we're effectively, we're borrowing from future generations. It's time for us to get back to putting a priority on fiscal sustainability. And and sooner is better than later. Good luck, though. Good luck. I don't think there's any willingness, by the way, on either side. I mean, it's not as though this is just a Democrat problem. It is a problem, shall we say, overall for everyone right now, uh, in my opinion, because they all want to spend money. Um, Let's go to another story right now. And that happens to be Disney as we stay within the sort of business sphere here. Disney uh, has a whole host of problems, including the latest being that Elon Musk has teamed up with Gina Carano and they're going to actually sue Disney because they're saying she's in violation. They are in violation of her employment contract. But take a look this at this. This is earnings that came out after the bell. Don, this one's for you, right? We, we, we promised we, we would keep talking about Disney. $1.22 adjusted versus 99 cents expected. This is earnings per share. Revenue of $23.55 billion versus $23.64 billion. So revenue coming in a little bit lighter than expected, but earnings really uh, knocking it out of the park. And most importantly, what investors should probably take heart in is the news that Disney is looking forward to more profitability, more profitability. All that's in the future, in the future. All that said, you know, part of bringing Bob Iger back and then bringing in the former CFO over at Pepsi was about trying to get some structure around their costs. They've just been spending money like drunken sailors there. I mean, heck, you know, they're doing the whole new Snow White and they were spending allegedly some $350 million on that new Snow White. And then they had to pull the production. Remember that? So they're spending and spending and spending. They're like the Fed, right? They're just printing money. But it's catching up with them because shareholders are like, what are you doing? And you look at the stock price and it's cut in half from where it was some few years ago. In 2021, it was trading up around 200 bucks. Not the case nowadays. So they decided, okay, we're going to divide our company into three different businesses. We've gotten too big. So we're going to be entertainment. We're going to be streaming. And we are going to be, uh, we're also going to be like parks and recreation. And so what's fascinating to me is when you look at, this is the first earnings season where they had this new lineup. You look at what happened 
in the entertainment section. This is with those linear networks. We're talking ABC, for example, which owns The View. (laughs) I told you they're going to sell it or ESPN. Those linear networks, they're suffering because revenue fell 7%. Whereas if you look at some of the other things like the experiences division, that's you know, for the, 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 the parks and for the cruises, well, they actually saw a 7% bump in revenues. So I think that the, much of the company might be doing fine, but a lot of the company isn't doing fine. And that particular part of the company that's not doing fine is the woke part of the company. Just saying, right? There's an expression that we all know. There's an expression, an expression, an expression, go woke, go broke. And that's what we're seeing evidence of here at Disney because they, they can't get out of their own way when it comes to entertainment. They keep making entertainment that nobody wants to see. At some point, that bad entertainment is going to catch up with parks and recreation and everything else. So it was an okay quarter. Whether or not it's going to continue being an okay quarter, that's anyone's guess. Moving on to why that is. Well, you know what? If you can't give up on your wokeism, you're going to have problems, ladies and gentlemen. You just are not going to be able to get your way forward. And that's exactly what's happened. You get the new, what, Pirates of the Caribbean. No more Johnny Depp. Instead, they've got this. Do we have a picture of her, Drew, this actress? Oh, there we go. Okay. Elon Musk went in saying Disney sucks. (laughs) So apparently they're considering this woman... Ayo Edaburi, forgive my pronunciation, I'm sure that's not right, as the replacement for Johnny Depp. And the word or the scuttlebutt on the internet about this particular actress is that she is uh, really woke and very socialist, anti-capitalist, and a whole bunch of other things. And she really has a political agenda that many moviegoers might find a little bit challenging, especially when you consider the audience that likes Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, they're not really going to go for this new actress. So yet again, as we look at an entertainment division that's suffering with revenue coming in light down 7%, you say, well, aren't they ever going to learn their lesson? Like, aren't they ever going to figure this out? No, they're not. They're not. Because now they're going to do a Pirates of the Caribbean and spend a fortune on it with somebody who is really trying to make a political point as opposed to maybe just the best actor or the best actress. You know, there had been some talk at one point of putting Margot Robbie in there. Now that, you know, like, you know, you want a woman playing the pirate? Like maybe proven box office draw with Barbie? Like maybe that would have been a smart move, but no, no. They're going to go with somebody who is well-known for her sort of wokeism, if you would, but they have to. You see, there's a mandate over in the HR department Elon Musk tweeting out something that he said one of his sources gave him from Disney. You see this color-coded thing? So they rate you at the Disney company. They rate you based on whether or not you're inclusive enough. You're going to be rated A, B, C, or D. So you see, if you're a manager at Disney, your entire future actually depends on whether or not you are inclusive enough. So on-screen representation, you got to have characters that are representative, 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 representative. So whoever's making this movie for the new Pirates of the Caribbean is more focused on meeting that standard A at the top of this Disney inclusion standards memo than they are about box office receipts. And therein 
lies the problem. Therein lies the problem in a major way. Look, this was tweeted out by Elon. He said a source gave it to him. And he's got a bit of an ax to grind. Remember, this is, this is Elon. He does not really like, he does not like Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney very much, in part because Bob Iger has pulled all his advertising from X. And, um, well, Elon being Elon, he let him have it at a recent conference he, he, he's organized by New York Times Dealbook. So he's on stage. He's doing this interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin. It's great. And he knows that Bob Iger's in the audience. And he, he has some choice words. You know this clip. I love this clip. We're going to watch it. Advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger today. I hope today. they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, Go f*** yourself. But go f*** yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. Well, well let me ask you then. So some choice words again for Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney. Elon is suing Disney with Gina Carano. He's basically bankrolling her saying, hey, here's the money because it's not fair what they did to you. They got rid of her, remember, because she refused to put her pronouns on her social media handles. She talked about it, actually, with Tucker. At the time, this all went down, and she was fired, and she was like, I don't get it. Like, I didn't even know what this was. Like, I didn't even understand it all, and I was joking around and put beep, bop, boo, and everybody suddenly freaked out. Let's watch her. I wouldn't hashtag trans rights, and I wouldn't put my pronouns in. Like, they kept on it pressuring, and finally... I just said, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Well, there was an actress that did do it, and she was rewarded with the big job as Snow White. That would be Rachel Zegler. Yeah, she, she's, she's the new Snow White, and that, that was quite a, quite a rude, but she, she drank the Kool-Aid. She was part of the Kool-Aid. In fact, some people on the Internet speculated that some of her tweets saying, oh, you got to stand up for this, you got to stand up for this, actually might have, in fact, help cost Gina her job. Well, Gina is now suing with the help of Elon Musk because you can't do that in California. You can't fire someone just because of their social or political beliefs. But this woman, she got the big gig as Snow White. If that thing ever materializes, right, it's been postponed thanks to $350 million that they've been spending and uh, out-of-sight costs. But here she is talking about why she really doesn't like Snow White and the character she's playing. I mean, you know, the, the original cartoon came out in 1937, and very evidently so. <laughs> um, there is a big focus on her love story um, with a guy who literally stalks her. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Weird. So we didn't do that this time. <laughs> so, no, so no prince or a different kind of prince? We have a different approach to what I'm sure a lot of people will assume is a love story just because, like, we cast a guy in the movie, right. Andrew Burnap. Great dude. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think everyone's going to have their assumptions about what it's actually going to be. But uh, it's really not about the love story at all, which is really, really wonderful. And whether or not she finds love along the way is anybody's guess until 2024. Um all of Andrew's scenes could get cut. Who knows? It's Hollywood, baby. So the love doesn't matter. Like the whole love story thing, like forget about it. It doesn't matter. Irrelevant. It's all about women's empowerment, I guess. 
I mean, forget about the fact that we're all human beings and it should be human nature to want to seek out a mate to have that love in your life. There's some Gallup poll out today talking about how Americans aren't really happy. Well, how could you be happy if you don't even aspire to have a relationship or a family or, or want this or value that? And Hollywood's teaching you over and over again that you shouldn't want it, that you shouldn't value it, that it's silly. And they, I don't know, you know, maybe you're going to go on to, to do something great as a, a woman and, and help humankind, et cetera. I don't care. Like at the same time, you probably, probably want to procreate and have a family and have someone in your life that you love and that loves you. I mean, that was the beauty of the story of Snow White. That's the beauty of every romantic comedy there is. It's the beauty of life, ladies and gentlemen, to dismiss that with a laugh and, and pretend that none of that matters is actually doing every human being, male and female, a disservice because you're, you're, you're scoffing at, at sort of the most fundamental and basic thing that makes us who we are and makes us more than who we are. And that is, okay, I'm getting all sappy on you on <laughs> this Thursday. That is love. That is love. And we need more love, much more of it, and a whole lot less Disney nonsense convincing us that somehow, some way, it's a bad thing. Go woke, go broke, that's what they say, and Bud Light is just another example of exactly that, right? We've talked about how their sales have been down some 30% every quarter. You find out Bud Light's down, 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 down. Well, that might be turning. Things could be turning, for Bud Light, the stock price has started to rally back to where it was before the big incident. And now they're getting the support of a lot of key people. Namely, this guy. Well, let's, let's show the, the <laughs> this guy, this guy. He writes, the Bud Light ad was a mistake of epic proportions. And for that, a very big price was paid. But Anheuser-Busch is not a whole company, but I can give you plenty that are. I'm building a list. And we might just release it for the world to see. Why not? The radical left does it viciously to well-run conservative companies and people. Very nasty, but it's the way they play the game. On the other hand, Anheuser-Busch spends $700 million a year with our great farmers, employs 65,000 Americans, of which 1,500 are veterans, and is a founding corporate partner of Folds of Honor, which provides scholarships for families of fallen servicemen and women. They've raised $30 million and given 44000 Scholarships, Anheuser-Busch is a great American brand that perhaps deserves a second chance, question mark. What do you think, question mark? Perhaps instead we should be going after the companies that are looking, that are looking to destroy America. So he's saying, hey, everyone, Donald Trump, given Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch a very, very, very generous endorsement. It's risky because I suspect a lot of his base feels very strongly that Bud Light did the wrong thing. And they also felt like, hey, this was the one opportunity that we had where we sort of made a difference, right? You know, the, these companies keep picking on conservatives and we've never really had a voice up until now. Suddenly we have this voice and the guy who's sort of the leader of the whole movement is now shooting it down. So here's what I'm gonna tell you. So first of all, he's not wrong. It is a company that is, well, has some woke elements. The question is, is it like Disney? Not so sure about that, right? I mean, parts of the company may have been the marketing department, obviously, the, you know, the woman that we've seen over and over again. She had her wokeism 
you have other members of management in the marketing department that had their wokeism, but in general, is Anheuser-Busch that way? I mean, they still have factories. Let's keep in mind in St. Louis, Missouri. All that said, I hear, I hear conservatives who are like, what the heck, what did you do? All I can say is they better be, they better be writing a big check. I'm sure they are. I mean, I hate to be so cynical, but you know, they wrote one to Dana White and the UFC. Do we have that video? Drew of them walking in. I knew it was like, it was, something was up when I saw this. You consider yourself a patriot, right? You're a patriot. How strong that team is. Take a look. So this is Madison Square Garden. Not too long ago, you get Kid Rock, you get Dana White, you get Donald Trump, and you get Tucker Carlson there. So they get a huge, huge, huge welcome. Dana had just done a deal with Bud Light. Dana did a deal with Bud Light for some hundred plus million dollars. Kid Rock is his buddy. Tucker Carlson is there. They're all buddies, right? And Donald Trump is there. So when I saw that, and then I saw Dana come out, and let's watch what Dana said about how we got to be nicer to Bud Light. I was like, hmm, interesting. Watch. I'll tell you what, if you consider yourself a patriot, right? You're a patriot. You should be drinking gallons of Bud Light. Believe me when I tell you. Wait, wait, wait. I should be boycott- I should be boycotting Bud Light. Gallons of Bud Light. You should have Bud Light drums stacked up. Wow. So that tells you a lot. Dana came around. Kid Rock came around, did an interview on Tucker Carlson's show saying he came around. And now the big kahuna has come around. He's asking your opinion on it. But like I said, I mean, there might have been some heavy campaign funds that were donated in order to, I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't know, but I'm just saying that was kind of a weird move. What do you guys think? I'm looking at some of your comments here. You have a lot to say on this one and I get it. I get it. It's like, what is going on? Yeah. Leslie writes what a hundred million bucks will do for you. What do you know? Donald Trump, you know what? He is a politician and he is a businessman. That's all I'll say. (laughs) He's a politician and a businessman and somebody got a deal together. I mean, hey, Travis Kelsey did a deal. If Travis Kelsey gets a deal, you know, I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't conservatives get a deal too? What do you think? Travis Kelsey got the deal with his commercial. He did, he shot that commercial and... You know, he's, he's, he's shooting these scenes, his brother is anyway, as they go to these camera cutaways with Taylor Swift when they're at a game, like the Buffalo Bills game, and, you know, Bud Light is prominently featured. Speaking of Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift is downsizing to one jet, one jet only. Do we have any video of Taylor, I wonder, uh, in, her, in her lovely jet? She had two, you see, but apparently... She got a lot of heat or took a lot of heat from some college student that tracks these jets and how much they contribute to pollution in America. And he was really after her pretty hard saying, hey, you know what? You're the number one polluter. She was the number one polluter in 2022 because of her jet, because of her plane. Well, her two planes, I should say. So she's selling one private jet, maybe to kind of deal with this a little bit more. But the reason apparently that she actually is the world's biggest polluter has to do with her leasing of her jet. 
So she leases this out because it's actually a really great business model. It's a business model in and of itself. And then she's able to take depreciation. So her accountants get to work and they're like, okay, well, you get this little business. You lease out your jet. And then we take the depreciation of the airplane and we add all that up. And basically, before you know it, hey, the jet's like nearly free, right? The jet's like a whole other business onto itself. So instead of having two of them at work for her, she's now only going to have one. So maybe that'll get this college kid off her tail. He's out of Florida and he's come up against it before. You know, he's going after the very powerful who say that they're all about the environment and then they drive around or fly around, I should say, in their private jets. His name is Jack Sweeney. He's at the University of Central Florida. She's saying, hey, you've got to stop this. You got to stop tracking me on my private jet. It's not that hard to track though, because there's these websites and you have to put in certain tail numbers, et cetera, for your jet. So it's all kind of public information, but she doesn't like it. She doesn't like it. He's very much into making sure that we preserve the environment. But the reality is this, if she flies to the Super Bowl from Tokyo, she's going to emit 19,000 miles worth of planet warming emissions in her journey. And so that's kind of a big deal for those that care about the climate. Her publicist is saying to the AP that she purchased more than double the carbon credits needed to offset all of that travel. There you go. The carbon credits business. That's a, you know, first you get the plane business. You can lease out your plane. You can take depreciation. Hey, that's quite a windfall. And then you got the carbon credits business. If you just offset by buying those carbon credits, well, then Wall Street does well. You give back to the environment somehow, some way, and there's a whole new little industry that creeps up. Listen, it's just more hypocrisy. So kudos to the kid for calling it out. We may not agree with him on everything, but at least I think on this, he's on to something. In other words, if you're going to sit there and tell us all about how much you care about the environment, then why are you driving around and you're flying around in your private jet? I mean, it reminds me of Carrie. Remember when Carrie told us, well, I have to take a private jet. Like, how else am I going to get anywhere? I have to collect my climate awards. Taylor has to get to the Super Bowl, you know. That's very important business. Very important business. And we have some more important business to go watch because I'd like to see this interview with Vladimir Putin, wouldn't you? I'll be back with you to discuss it some more. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll talk some more. Don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.